Okay, welcome to Big Idea, Big Moves, where we talk to people who are really pushing the agenda forward. Um, they're making moves in their space, people with really innovative ideas, some strong insights and focus, and, and real drive to change and advocate for that change. Um, our guests are the people really making a difference, and we're really excited to have Nina Purewell with us today. Um, she is the co-author of Let That Shit Go, um, and that's a best-selling book right now. You've probably seen it on bookshelves, and and if you haven't had a chance to read it, you're going to get a little snippet today, and then you're going to make sure that you go out and read it after this. Um, and it basically delves into how to find peace and happiness in the everyday. So there's lots of action items, lots of actionable things in there, and, and we're going to get a snapshot of a couple of those things today. But um, I think we're in for a really cool discussion. So so first of all, um, uh, thanks for joining us, Nina. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. I'm honored. Oh, no problem at all. And, and really going through your background, which was which I'm really excited about hearing some of that today. But but one thing that kind of stood out to me is that actually we share a, a background, a piece of that background that's very similar. We uh, both worked for Cadbury, although at different times, but in uh, yeah. uh, kind of that chocolate industry, which is uh, was kind of cool. And, and um, you know, my experience in that field was was pretty fun and pretty cool. But I don't know how you feel about yours. I know you were a brand manager, I think, where you were there. I was. I was. I started off in sales and then at category management and sales, and then I moved into marketing and spent about five years there. And I, I absolutely loved it. It was. It was quite stressful, but yeah. it was fun to have chocolate at your desk all the time. Like, who wouldn't want that? Yeah. No. Absolutely. That's. Uh, and, and anybody you tell after that, they just assume that that's like the the amazing, most amazing job ever. That there's chocolate everywhere. But, uh, um, but yeah, right. It is like anything else. It's a good learning ground. But um, sure, lots of lots of learnings that that you you got from that, both from a business standpoint because you do own your own business but um but the other side is even just learnings around um your, your own kind of personal growth so um so kind of leads me into the the first bit just that maybe we can kind of jump into it a bit is that um you have had quite the journey you've had some really kind of different things um, um coming from corporate uh, moving into kind of uh, almost a quasi corporate piece and and there's mm -hmm. a chunk of time where you really went into looking into this kind of idea of mindfulness so can you walk us through a little bit of that and and how your you know, what are some of the catalysts that move you along there? Yeah, absolutely. So I started my career, out, you know, in, in I graduated from Laurier in business and psychology and then had a great career in sales and marketing, working for a number of companies on a number of brands, um, AC Nielsen, Kraft, Cadbury. Uh, I loved what I did, but I was highly stressed out. Um, you know, I've been practicing mindfulness and meditation for about 20 years, but I had a really hard time in my corporate career applying everything I knew. Um, so in 2010, I, I, hit, I was reporting into the U.S. and it was one of those things where, you know, everyone was addicted to their BlackBerry or we called it CrackBerry at the time, um, you know, emailing and responding at, you know, all kinds of hours of the night. And I just hit this point where I said, you know, something's got to change because I'm not handling myself well. And so with that, I took a year off. Um, I completely unplugged. So, you know, no phone, no Internet, no friends. And I um, spent a year in Northern California reinvigorating my study for mindfulness and meditation and, you know, a bit of classical spiritual philosophy and uh, came back and did a little bit more in corporate. I knew I wanted to work in cause marketing because that's something that always kind of drove me and, and, and made me passionate about my work. So I worked for an environmental company, um, was a GM there for a couple of years and then uh, really wanted to kind of align my head and heart, if you will. So 
wanted to stay in corporate, but also uh, speak about things that that I was passionate about bringing into the corporate world, which was mindfulness. And so a few years ago, I started my own company, Pure Minds, and now I conduct uh, mindfulness workshops for a number of organizations. We've worked with everyone from you know, Red Bull to Lululemon, Under Armour, Mars, Wrigley Confectionery, tons of great brands. And it's so great to go back into these organizations and, you know, with even people and teams I've worked with and, you know, talk about how to relieve a little bit of stress through mindfulness. Yeah, it's interesting that you that you um, have focused on kind of those those little things that help day to day. And uh, but but coming from such a, a big change for you, I mean, I mean, I find it really interesting that you took that that year. And um, you know, how was that a, a how hard was that to kind of completely pull yourself away? And and did you find that um, you know what what did it do to you personally? I guess while you were away at that time. Yeah, it was really challenging. I. I always say it was the most enlightening year of my life, but also the most one of the most challenging years of my life. Yeah. Um, it was just something I had the sense that I just I had to do. It was kind of now or never. So um, I took the risk and did it. And it was it was very challenging in the sense that I think in today's world, especially more now than 2010, we are so easily distracted with our phones, with our emails, with the notifications going off, with social media. And I think the hardest part there was to be disconnected and to be, you know, because when stuff comes up for us now, when challenges comes up, come up for us now, we're so quick to just distract ourselves, you know, yeah. talk to someone or call someone or scroll. Um, and there I, I didn't have that option. I didn't have the option to call a friend. I didn't have the option to check the internet. I had to, I ha it was just kind of me and the redwoods, you know, outside of my classes. And so that was really interesting because a lot of the stuff that I hadn't dealt with, you know, for the last 10, 20 years actually yeah. came up in that year, but it was also so healing. And that's where the whole, you know, letting go piece came because it all came up. I was able to kind of look it in the eye and face it and then, and then let it go. Cause I, I'm a firm believer that you can't really let things go unless you deal with them, which is not the fun part. But once you do, it's quite liberating. Yeah. I, I know you've, you've kind of mentioned that as you went through that you had um, some, some difficult things to go through and brought that forward. And, and you did find that that kind of moved you ahead of, of some of those difficult things in your past. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, my, my mindfulness and meditation journey started, you know, about 20 years ago, as I said, when I was 16, I lost my dad and my brother yeah. um, quite tragically. And, you know, overnight it was completely unexpected. And, a lot of that stuff, you know, I was in high school and I just kind of pushed forward and went to business school and then had this great career and climbed the ladder. And I don't think I really dealt with all the, you know, emotions that came up with that. I mean, I had counselors and um, I saw therapists sure. here and there, but I, I didn't really go deep. And so the minute I was able to go deep, which I, as I said, it's not always easy, um, is when I could, I, I just kind of felt the, the layers peel back and I could be a more authentic version of myself and just more comfortable in my own skin. So I think that's what that year gave me. And, and I'm sure as you're going through this journey with your um, with your book and going out and into organizations and with individuals, it's it's got to be pretty rewarding to see uh, because so many people have gone through something. It may not be you know as as um, uh, acute as as what you did, but um, everybody has stuff, and I'm sure you're hearing lots of uh, lots of things where you've impacted somebody and being able to do that for themselves. 
that's the most rewarding part. I mean, that's why I do what I do. It's, it's hard at sometimes to put myself out there and, and be a bit of an open book. But I always say, you know, if it's going to impact a person or give them hope, um, then it's, it's completely worth it. And yeah, everyone has struggled. There's not a single person out there that ha- doesn't have struggles and it, it's all relative. So it's great to go into companies. because I think sometimes we have this pressure to be someone we're not and to put on this game face all the time. And, you know, it doesn't always have to be like that. So when I go in and do workshops, it's really nice to have people kind of, you know, just, just loosen up a bit and, you know, open up on a deeper level and talk about, you know, their lives and the things that they struggle with. Because at the end of the day, we're all humans. We're all people. We yeah. all have a P&L to worry about, but we're all humans. So, you know, the <laughs> more we can kind of be in it together, the more powerful our results are going to be. Well, and you know, uh, that takes me into the first bit that uh, probably lots of people who are listening to this are listening in their kind of quasi downtime. So it's oftentimes in the, the car on the way into work or on the train on the way into work. And, um, and and they're probably listening and thinking, oh, my gosh, there's, you know, all, all I'm thinking about right now is my next meeting is preparing for a presentation I don't want to do or I'm not ready for. So, mm-hmm. um you know, uh, how do you how do you kind of jump into that with um, you know uh, content from your book, but also content from your your um, organization as well? What what should people be doing to help kind of offset that in the morning? Yeah, so when they, there's there's quite a few things you can do, and again, this journey to mindfulness is so personal, so you really have to. That's why we have a hundred tips on the book because every, you know different tips are going to relate to different people, so you really yeah. have to lean into what works for you. Um, for me, I get up, I try to, I don't always, but I try to meditate in the morning, even if it's for 30 seconds or for two minutes, just, you know, sitting up and just quiet time for your mind. I always say meditation is like going to the gym for your mind. So just even if not, if not meditation, if that's too much, just take a couple of deep breaths. We're so quick in the morning to pick up our phones and start scrolling, um, you know, and it's like, oh, I'm already behind on email and I got to do this and I got to do it. So it just kind of gives you a minute to kind of ground yourself. And um, then throughout the morning, um, you know, I think there's a misconception of mindfulness that it's like you have to be present 24-7 and you can't think other thoughts. And that's impossible. You know, like we live in this crazy inundated world. We're going to think thoughts. We're going to have anxious, you know, feelings about certain things. So I think just having just quick one or two second uh, moments where we're fully present by leaning into our senses, let's say we're brushing our teeth, you know, just being really mindful about brushing our teeth, maybe even having a list on the mirror of things that we're grateful for. Um, You can kind of have little triggers throughout your morning. And then I feel like with the work anxiety, if you're, you know, on your commute, and you're thinking about that presentation that you don't want to do. For me, what's been really helpful, and what I talk about is bucketing things in your life and what you can control and what you can't control. And, you know, that's very liberating because when we think about things that we can't control and we stew about them, they, it's a waste of energy because that thing is going to happen anyway. That presentation is going to happen anyway. So the more you talk, think about, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. You're wasting your energy. You're wasting your focus. You're wasting your efficiency. So in my head, I just kind of think, I got to do this presentation. I can't control it. I signed up for it. It's going to happen. And then, you know, just put it in the bucket of can't control. What can you control? You can control your attitude towards it. You can control, you know, maybe have more positive thoughts. I'm going to kick butt in this presentation and this is why it's going to go well. And here's going to be the outcome. Um, but even taking a step back from that is like not even thinking about it. I mean, you've done all the work you can do to prep for it. So in that moment where you're 
you know, commuting to work, yeah, just listen to a podcast and take it in or, you know, observe the trees outside. There's so many different things you can do instead of thinking about work because you're going to spend your entire day there. So maybe that's time for you. Read a book, you know, yeah. do something for yourself in that moment. Or go back go back to sleep in the middle of the night when you're waking up and your head's doing this in the middle of the night. Exactly. You know, a lot of people ask me about that and I say, there's nothing yeah. you can do about it. You can't finish your presentation and go up and present to everyone at three in the morning. There's nothing you can physically do in the middle of the night. All you can do is get as much of your sleep in, asleep as you can so you can re be rejuvenated for the next day. So take a couple breaths, let go of all that anticipated thinking and just get yourself back to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Now uh, you, you talked earlier about, um, and it, it's that compounding stress that, that happens. And um, it, it's funny, we talked with um, Joe DeSina from Spartan relatively recently and, and he is that um, kind of almost that other side, but it's, it's really about um, building resiliency and building a resiliency muscle. And, and mm -hmm. I, I would, I would be interested in knowing kind of your, your thoughts on how, how does, being mindful, being present and, and doing some of these things, how do you think that would align with that? Even though they seem quite different in, in your approaches, um, mm -hmm. probably building resiliency comes in more than one way. Yeah, absolutely. I think being mindful is the best thing you can do to be resilient. You know, one of the things that we talk about is having perspective, you know, waking up in the morning and instead of going into the 14 emails that you missed and the meetings you're going to have today is just having having that few seconds of perspective that hey you know what i'm i'm lucky to be alive and i'm lucky to be healthy and you know i read a stat the other day that if you have cash or assets worth 10,000 or sorry 70,000 dollars you live in the top 1% of the world yeah um you know so we're so quick to lose this perspective and you know maybe we feel it when we go to a funeral or we see something on the news but what if we felt that every day and the more and more we can think in this big picture perspective the less you know we're going to be concerned and wrapped up in in the nitty-gritty and that builds resiliency you know i work with executives and some of them say I'm at a stressful at work 10 and, you know, work is so stressful and I, I can't find any balance. And, and I always kind of pause to ask them, you know, are you really at a stress level of 10? Does work really bring you that much stress? Because 10 is the worst possible thing that could happen to you, you know, like becoming ill or someone you love, you know, that you lose or that's a 10. And, and so, you know, that's the whole part of the mindfulness experience is, is just having that different perspective that broader perspective and so when you're in the day-to-day -day, you become more resilient because things don't affect you as much as they they would you know if you're thinking in a, in a more narrow perspective and I'll, I'll kind of I'll give you a quick example of you know when I was in my uh, when I worked for the environmental company and I was I was a, a GM of Canada and at the same time I got that role um, my mom was actually diagnosed with uh, Lou Gehrig's or ALS yeah. and you know, I kind of thought, how am I going to handle all the stress? Like, so I took the role anyway. And in hindsight, two years later, um, we were the most successful of 23 countries around the world. And, you know, mind you, I had the most amazing team. But I relay that back for me to, you know, perspective. Because my every additional thought that I had to think outside of work and my job was, was life and death. You know, it was about my mom. And she's dying and I got to spend time with her. And these were my last few years with her. And something about that made me really resilient with work because it didn't affect me as much. You know, I could be under a ridiculous amount of pressure, but at the end of the day, it was nothing compared to, you know, how I felt when I went home and was dealing with this, 
you know, life and death situation. So I do think the more perspective you have, which is, a, which is a big part of mindfulness, um, the more resiliency, you know, little things don't get to you. And the, when those little things get to you, trust me, I was there for a big, better part of my career. When those mm -hmm. little things get to you and you're in your own head and you're worried about how, what people think and how you're going to do well, well, it's such a waste of energy. It's draining. It's draining and it doesn't propel you forward, uh, you know, in any way. And you, 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 are less tolerant. Like any little thing, any little email that comes yeah. through, any little comment made in a meeting can set you off. So I think, you know, having that perspective, it just makes you, you know, more resilient to to all that comes at you, which which can be a lot in the corporate world. Yeah, and 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 I think a lot of people are are have been looking into it recently. Show that your performance is better when you do when you are able to compartmentalize and really have a good perspective on on what's truly important and that you're able to actually um, have a little more comfort level. When you have that comfort level, you can be more creative, you can be more innovative. And uh, um, it seems to be that, you know, one, one creates the other over time as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because so, all that incremental thought that you're wasting, you're spending on, you know, your the, the right. business and how you can grow it. Right. And probably better relationships, better kind of team building and all of those different things that you want to, to be able to do in an organization, in a high performing organization. So um, we are going to take a really short break. Um, and when we come back, um, I'm going to ask Nina about um, what parents can do to help their children start to kind of use those same kind of techniques and, and have them give them the head, head start that they need into uh, into the world beyond school. So small business owners, HR people, anybody who is really putting together a business that's small to medium size, one of the things that gets held back all the time is not thinking about having to build things right. And all of those basics, the HR basics, the talent basics, they're the non-flashy, non-sexy things, but they need to be in place. Look at all the organizations that have grown too quickly, haven't put those things in place and start to lose their culture, start to lose some of the things that, uh, that you've, you've worked so hard to be able to build. Um, so that's why we have actually put something together. You don't have to have this big kind of technology solution, all of those things. Um, you don't have to hire a whole bunch of people. Um, what you need to be able to do is get some of those basics in place right now. And what we have is uh, a kit we've put together for you to be able to have kind of all of those basics, about um, 20 different things ranging from, you know, how, what does a job posting look like? What kind of process should you have in place to be able to make sure that, that um, you're bringing the right people into your culture? Culture, the employee guide so that you make sure that you solidify that culture all of those things that if you've read the e-myth that Gerber is saying is make sure that you build those in right away also performance appraisal forms all of those kind of basics I know that everybody's gonna want to bring in the new flashy thing but what we've done is uh, so many of our clients have just said look let's just get something so that I can kind of get that jump start and so what we've done is put something together to be able to help you quantum leap past all of these things and be able to get some custom tools in your hands right away. So if that interests you, if you want to grow and you want to be able to do it quickly, you want to be able to get to the more value add stuff instead of spending tons and tons of hours. And I'm talking hundreds of hours being able to put together a lot of these kind of basic policies, processes, and procedures. Um, you know, give us a shout. And so I'll, I'll tell you, you can email me directly at jamie, J-A-M-I-E, dot allison a-l-l-i-s-o-n at epitome e-p-i-t-o-m-e hr.com and i'll make sure that you get the information to you right away
Welcome back. Um, we have had a really great conversation so far with Nina. And uh, um, again, we're, we're talking about um, uh, mindfulness and being present both in the workplace and in your uh, individual lives. Um, she is the co-author of Let That Shit Go. It's um, on bookshelves now, so make sure that you're going out and checking that. Um, one thing that we talked about before the break is that um, I was going to ask her um, about parenting a little bit. I know she has, uh, she has a young one, but I'm sure also in, in um, her discussions with, uh, with CEOs, leaders, and, and just people in the organizations she's worked with, a lot of people are trying to figure out, um, how do I start to make sure that I prepare my children as much to be able to deal with the stress that, that seems to be even, even heavier in, you know, in those younger, younger age groups than, uh, than some time ago? Um, and just wanted to know, kind of how, how do you think uh, are some of the ways that, um, that you can kind of pass those good kind of mindful techniques or mindful mindfulness, uh, um, awareness, I guess, to, uh, to children, Nina? Yeah, absolutely. I think the first thing is that we can probably actually learn a lot more from our children than yeah, our children yeah. from us when it comes to <laughs> mindfulness. If you just go for a walk or a bike ride with your child, you know, it's amazing what they observe. Like they're not thinking, you know, we think between 50,000 and 70,000 thoughts a day as adults. And so our mind is constantly inundated where they are fully present. They're looking at the flower. My daughter's always pointing out, look at this flower, look at this cool branch of a tree, you know, can we go check out that bridge? She is not thinking about, you know, how so-and-so pissed her off or what she's going to wear tomorrow or, you know, a familial, a family situation that's upsetting. Like she is just fully present. So, you know, one thing for parents is just really be present with your kids because they can actually teach you a lot about being in the here and now. Um, and then for kids, I would say, you know, before you even get into a mindfulness space, um, just allowing them to really express their emotions. Because I think, you know, as adults, sometimes we are taught to suppress things and not talk things out and, um, you know, not express how we're feeling and, and what's bothering us. And so we just internalize and we distract with our phones. And so it's really important, you know, if my daughter's having a bad day first, I say, you know, what happened, let's talk about it, and not just the incident, but how did it make you feel, and then kind of give her some, some, you know, solutions to whatever happened. And then if she's still kind of feeling it, I find taking a few really deep breaths is a great way for them to get back into the present moment and kind of let go. So there's a lot of different techniques, you know, some parents meditate with their children just sit for 30 seconds or two minutes. And, you know, sit cross-legged on the floor and let's take a few breaths together. Um, you, there's breathing balls out there. They kind of expand and contract. So it's meant to represent, you know, their belly or their belly's, you know, uh, inhale and exhale. So, you know, for her, I say, okay, go take a few breaths with your breathing balls. So she'll just kind of sit in the middle of her playroom and take a few breaths. Um, some parents have a mat on the floor where it's like, go to your breathing mat. And that's their calm space. That's where they kind of gather them. Um, their their feelings and their emotions and just take a couple of breaths and breathe through it. And I find the breathing is really helpful and it's something that they can relate to. Um, the great thing is that there's so many great children's books out there. Um, I even have mindful flashcards. We use flashcards sometimes. At night I read, um, you know, there's, there's mindful monkey, happy panda. There's um, I am peace. There's, there's just so many books out there now. Um, I think I've got all of them, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, but you know, it gives them perspective and it just teaches them that it's okay. You're going to have hard days and school is going to yeah. be challenging sometimes, but 
you know, just come back to a place where you feel comfortable in your own skin and you feel authentic and just take a couple of breaths and just be you at the end of the day. I think with social media too, and tween ages, it's yeah. really hard for kids to feel like it's okay to be them. Um, so that was, a, that's another big one as well. Yeah. Like that's, I, I think, um, no, they are doing a, a better job of, of, you know, having some of those discussions and practices in schools. Um, and, and it is, I'm sure because of a lot of the, the impact, um, of social media and, and people feeling kind of validated or not through kind of whatever their, their Instagram profile likes are and exactly. things like that. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And hopefully yeah, exactly. we're not creating more of that, I guess, for the, <laughs> the next generation coming no, in. No, yeah. And I was actually, it was really heartbreaking. I was reading uh, or I was reading or listening to something by Simon Sneak. He studies a lot mm-hmm. of uh, millennials and he was saying, you know, kids are, creativity is, is, is completely, um, you know, stumped now because kids yeah. are putting stuff out there. And if it's not being validated or liked, in other words, by X amount of people, they'll pull it down, you know, oh, yeah. I'm not good enough for this, or, you know, nobody likes it. And they're, you know, they're, they're so dependent on that validation. So I think, you know, just always telling your kid, it's okay to be you, and it's okay to be different. It's okay to be passionate about these things. And, you know, at home, um, having that safe environment, someone said to me too, when we were kids, the bullying ended at three o'clock. Um, yeah and yeah. now it's 24 7 because kids can bully online so it's so it important is. to have that relationship with your kids where you're encouraging their authentic self yeah no that's that's great um that's that's great advice because i i do think that's a, a major thing to many of the people who listen right now is uh how to how do you get through that time so um it, it actually brings me to the other point that um there are one of the common topics for us um is uh almost every speaker i, I i've talked to um has been uh, they they think there is something to that notion that who we surround ourselves um kind of you know determines our outlook a little bit and determines kind of how we approach things and that whole kind of adage around we're the sum of the the five people we spend the most time with and I, I'm interested mm-hmm. to know what what your thoughts are uh, on that I a hundred percent agree with that it's something I've kind of learned along the way um, especially you know me having the disease to please all the time wanting everybody <laughs> to like me you know I went through that um, and struggled with that a lot and now I, I'm really careful, actually, with who I, I surround myself with, because I do think that, you know, people who are positive, people who put good vibes out there, people who make you feel good about yourself, who accept you for who you are, um, that just feeds into a better version of you. And so you do want, and of course, there's going to be people in your life at home and at work that you can't control, that are going to be there every Christmas dinner or there, you know, in the office challenging you. And 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 that's okay, um, you know, learning how to keep those people at a distance or how to not take things personally. But then I, I do believe your inner circle, you know, it's so important for it to be people who unconditionally love you and care about you and want the best for you. Um, you know, your vibe tribe, so to speak, is what they call it. So, you know, keep that positive. Um, Cause I do think that that has an impact on, on yourself and your outlook. 
So how if um, let's let's say right now you're people are, are listening and thinking, oh, am uh, am I surrounding myself that way? Um, but then they start to realize that maybe they're one of those people who are stuck in that kind of negative rut, and maybe people are distancing distancing themselves from them. How um, maybe are there a couple of kind of very specific things that that people can kind of do to to pull themselves out of that kind of negative outlook and and maybe start to to connect with people that you know, are the ones that should be in those kind of five closest people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think in the same token, you have to, it's really important to not push anyone either either way. I always kind of say, stay in your lane. So you don't want to force yourself to be like anyone else. You know, if you're going through a challenging time, own it. Um, but I do think, you know, the gateway out of that, 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 that thinking is to really be aware of, of your thoughts. Um, you know, people talk about self-love in, in the forms of, you know, guys nights out and bubble bath and, you know, Netflix and chill. But in the book, we talk about, you know, the most important type of self-love is, you know, what do you think to yourself? What's that internal dialogue that's going on? Are you constantly badgering yourself? Or, you know, what is the first thing you say when you look in the mirror? Is it something nice? Is it something kind? Or, you know, as you walk into a meeting or as you present um, or as you're talking to a colleague about, you know, a project, are you, how are you treating yourself? Because sometimes we might let go of all these toxic people in our life, but the most toxic person is actually our own selves, what we're saying to ourselves. Um, and a lot of our internal dialogue happens subconsciously. So when you can't, you know, at the expense of sounding a little cheesy, when you can't love yourself and you're constantly badgering yourself, you can't, you can't, you know, uh, love others. Um, in a way, because you're kind of, if your cup is not full, you don't have any water to pour into anyone else's glass, you're running on empty. So everything, you know, you put out there is from that place of empty from that place of obligation of expectation of exhaustion. Um, so I would say start with you. And, you know, think about what are the things that you're saying to yourself, you know, in my workshops, I have people actually write those down. And, you know, maybe rip a page of a journal or in your journal start to write down all the nasty things you say to yourself the smack talk that goes on um and you know the minute you become aware of it these are these are tough patterns to change they're actually neural networks and there's a lot of quantum physicists that have got behind this and said that you know we actually are addicted to these negative thoughts we actually get a chemical rush every time we say them to ourselves um, so, you know, we can get out of these thought patterns, but we can't get out of them without knowing what they are. So I think the first step is if you find yourself being that person that tends to be a little negative and, you know, people are might be distancing yourself first, ask yourself, what are the kinds of things I think about? What are my quality of thoughts? You know, and am I, am I loving towards myself? And once you fix the inner, the outer will automatically shift you know, you'll definitely see a change in the people that you surround yourself with and also the people that, you know, are drawn to you because you'll kind of put that positive vibe out there that you might not have been putting out before when you were doing some self-hate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... Uh... Those are all fantastic, and I, I know all of that information is in is in your book. Um, if people haven't had a chance to grab this, I mean, it's it's basically it's it's 
it's at every bookstore, so you won't have a problem finding it. Um, it's let that shit go. It has the kind of little star in between, but because I'm on a podcast, I can actually say it. So that's. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I what I'd actually say is that um, you know make sure that uh, that you take a look at it, go out and, and buy that book because there are, um, as you said, over a hundred different kind of techniques. Then and pick the ones that work for you because um, it does make a, a huge difference. I'm sure. So um, so. I, I, I guess the, the last thing we usually ask for our guests, Nina, is um, I know you've given us some hints already, but if um, if you're that person who's sitting uh, on uh, on the train or in the car right now um, and are able to do kind of two or three things today that make a, a huge difference, um, what would what would you say those things that they should just kind of to, to make that kickstart, what would they be uh, um, today? Uh, great question. I, I learned so many things. Um, again, <laughs> lean into what works for you. But I would say the first thing is what I just talked about. So really be aware of that, you know, that negative dialogue or, you know, the things that you're saying to yourself. Um, it's draining. It's a waste of energy. It's affecting your work efficiency and your focus. So be aware of what that dialogue is. And we have, you know, number two on, in the book on how, how to mitigate that, how to switch those neural networks. Um, and change that thinking. So that will have a huge impact. Um, the second one is something I struggled with for a long time. And I think people do in the corporate world from what I've seen, but um, be authentic. Do you honor who you are? Um, you know, even if it's at the expense of, you know, not everybody liking you, um, because some people will like who you are and some people won't and you can't control that so it's most important you know as you walk into a meeting as you choose the projects you work on as you pick your path forward um, do what is right for you not necessarily what society wants for you what people think is right for you um, you know make sure you honor yourself um, and be who you are speak up um, to what's important to you even if uh, the majority of the meeting is, is is not in favor of what you're saying it's important to to just do you and honor that and as you do that you know and you speak up it's not about ego it's not about what's right and wrong it's just about if you think something is right for the business and 90 percent of the people don't maybe you have a good point um and maybe you'll change the entire room so so speak up and honor yourself um and I would say the third thing is, you know, make time for your mental work. Mental health is such a big deal now. And I'm so glad people are talking about it. Um, we do so much for our bodies. You know, maybe we eat right or we juice or we go to the gym. Um, you know, we dress, we put makeup on. You know, there's so many things we do for our outer. But what are we actually doing for our minds? How are we making sure we're giving our minds a good cleanse once in a while? And when that happens, there will be a breath of fresh air in terms of your focus of your efficiency. So whether that's in the form of, you know, going for a mindful walk, um, taking a few deep breaths in the morning, you know, meditating and, you know, getting into that kind of a practice, practice, even if it's for five minutes at the beginning of the day, um, giving your mind a little bit of, of attention and being aware of what's in there can be a very, very powerful tool to your output. Um, and again, just, just feeling good about yourself. All right, some some more great uh, great tips for success there. Thank you very much. Um, to the conversation has been amazing. Again, make sure that you uh, you look up Nina both with her book, but also also with her organization. What's what's your website, Nina, for for your organization? Pureminds.ca. P-U-R-E-M-I-N-D-S.ca. And then we also have a a book website, which is letthatshitgothebook.com. 
Awesome. All right. Well, again, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on today, Nina, and thanks everybody for listening. Um, make sure that uh, when you uh, after you listen to this, subscribe, give us a review on there, and let us know how we're doing. Um, and uh, we have more uh, really cool guests coming up over the next little while, so you want to make sure that you subscribe so that you hear about them uh, hear about them first. So again, thanks very much, and uh, we'll see you next time on Big Idea, Big Moves. Thanks for having me, Jamie. I so appreciate it.